0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, I trust that you've all read the uh, the chapter this week, and have done your homework. I'm just going to read the introduction and we'll have our discussion from that. The Buddha's words is for their full comprehension, clear understanding, and abandonment of self. Sorry, list it. in the abandonment of suffering that the Noble Eightfold Path is to be cultivated. That's the whole point of the Dhamma. The Eightfold Path is a path to be developed leading to lasting happiness and peace. It is the fourth of the Four Noble Truths. The Eightfold Path is a framework for Dhamma practice. In other words, this is it. This is, as Dhamma practitioners, we practice the Eightfold Path. All eight factors are to be integrated in the life of of a practitioner of the Dhamma. Each factor contributes to a cohesive system of developing insight and understanding of impermanence and distraction of stress the eightfold path is a path of heightened wisdom heightened virtue and heightened concentration those are the separations of that we'll be going through in these three classes the first two pa- two factors contribute to the development of heightened wisdom right view and right intention There are three factors that develop heightened virtue, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Three additional factors contribute to the development of heightened concentration, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. So this week's class is focused on the first two. And you could say that right view and right intention are both the entry point to developing the Dhamma and the culmination. In other words, the beginning of the Eightfold Path takes our wrong view and starts incorporating it with a right view that is developed through the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. Um, I think somebody mentioned earlier about, I think it was Josh, about developing instant wisdom. And of course, the Eightfold Path points away from that, that it is a path of practice that slowly develops wisdom But as we go from wrong view to right view through the Eightfold Path, there is an instantaneous nature of it, isn't there? In other words, almost on daily practice, we'll be gaining insight into impermanence and a not-self characteristic that could be classified as instant wisdom as it relates to these characteristics. And that's what we're doing um, with right view. Right intention is simply the intention to continue, but with a well-focused practice. That's, that's focused on these factors of the Eightfold Path and focused on right, uh, right insight into impermanence of all things and the nature of self and the misunderstanding of those two factors that leads to stress and suffering. So that, that is, that's as far as I want to go with that introduction. Uh, it really, because I want to put some emphasis on the simplicity of this practice. And I'd also like to hear from you how you're incorporating this into your practice, and if you recognize the simplicity of it. So uh, I'll start with Meg. Meg, how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank
1: you. Um, yeah, so um, I feel that my practice is helping me a lot with um, just recognizing what my mind does, you know, and how yeah. how it tries to twist everything into this um Viewpoint of um, I don't know what I guess whatever viewpoint I hold to you know anything it tries to twist it into that, that
0: yeah way. any any wrong view is, is rooted in self-referential views and so that's what right. you're recognizing
1: yeah and so and I've always felt like I want to see both sides of things so I've always been more curious that way but it's it's pretty enlightening to realize how my mind wants to gravitate toward one way of thinking Yeah, you know
0: and that's um, called conditioned thinking i don't mean interrupt interrupt you but you're bringing up some good points
1: yeah so that's basically what i'm really noticing and um you know it's it can be really hard to um to change your mind about something, yep. you know, if you're not open to listening to a different point of view. And so, you know, I've had some really interesting discussions with a family member that's really helped me a lot. And, um, just to, to, uh, be able to have interaction with somebody who's, who's open in that way too, who we may have different viewpoints, but we can be open to talking to each other and being gentle with each other. You know what I mean? And, 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 and making that the goal, you know? Yeah. uh, Anyway, that's kind of what I've been
0: doing. Well, you you're describing the the right practice, and that's developing right view. That's just what we talked about today. So, it's as it should be. the the um, The apparent difficulty of changing our mind is an aspect of clinging that we that we start understanding as we develop practice, because that's all it is. It's just clinging to a view that that is familiar to us and that we use as a as a, a self reference. As we go through that. Uh, Life just simply becomes easier because we're not dragging those wrong views around with us. So, thank you. Francisca, how about you? Um,
2: Yeah, well, I I already told you a little bit about the issue I had with my yoga practice, which is also going on. And um, there were like two phases about it like the first time when we talked about it and you said we should leave other practices aside, I really got kind of angry. And I think I can observe that I was clinging to this yoga practice. And now in this, when time passed a little bit, it uh, settled down and now I think, or yeah, um, I wonder why I'm doing it at all.
0: You mean yoga or this?
2: Yoga.
0: Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but please go on.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, and that's pretty interesting, I think, because inside I got really furious about the thought of um, not doing it anymore, and yeah, now I'm wondering why I'm doing it at all, and um, yeah, that's it, I think.
0: Thank you. (laughs) The other reason I said that is that when we place so much importance on two kind of competing philosophies, it can create conflict in our mind. But really the way I look at it is yoga is one practice, what the dhamma is another practice. And we shouldn't try to incorporate them or make them the same. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it becomes up to us if we want to continue one of the others. But if we don't try to marry the two, there'll be no conflict, and you'll be able to practice both of them peacefully. But you may get caught up in the the spiritual aspects, and I don't, I don't really apply spirituality to the Dhamma. Um, again, by trying to incorporate them into some holistic uh, practice, because that, that can't be done. That will always create conflict. But there are certainly health benefits to yoga Um, and so as far as practicing both at the same time, um, I think you'll find it easier or less conflicting to, to not put so much emphasis on the spiritual aspects of yoga, but put aspects on the physical benefits of yoga. And again, do you think that's reasonable?
2: um i'm not sure if i understood everything but the problem with me was that i thought well everything i learned about yoga is exactly what you are teaching about meditation and and every teacher says okay you should leave all the other practices aside and you should focus on on only this one thing and and so does yoga of course and um, i found so many similarities or um, things that are yeah almost the same and i thought well through the yoga practice i'm doing exactly what you are teaching i'm i'm focusing the mind and i'm observing and the only difference is that i use the body and then when i kept kept thinking and i i read uh, your book i thought yeah okay what why do i do all the body stuff it's not necessary I, i can just sit and observe and um Yeah, but, okay, I think I got uh, pretty confused, yeah, because there are two things and then the body is uh, involved in one, and in the other one it's not that much involved. Um, So,
0: yeah. Yeah, there certainly isn't any focus in the Dharma on the body other than to unite the mind and the body through jhana meditation. But in doing that, it can improve your yoga practice simply because you'll be more well-concentrated when you're engaged in yoga. But again, you you may find some deep conflicts in the, in the spiritual or philosophical aspects of it. Uh, one of them that comes up that people say, well, they're kind of the same thing because of the eight limbs of yoga and the eightfold path are the same. They're not when you look at them. They're, they're, they're very different. And there's not much of a comparison there. Um, the There's not an emphasis on, on developing concentration in the meditation aspects of yoga. It's more about... Hold on one second, please. Can't find my... There it is. Um But again, I don't want to dissuade anybody from from stopping a yoga practice in order to practice a dhamma. I don't know that you have to, but it's important to see them as two distinct practices. And the problem with that is our minds want to uh, combine the two. There's even people that, that call the Buddha a yogi and that somehow he he inspired yoga. But of course, that, that's not, that, that can't even be uh, looked at uh, carefully. Um because it was really Pantajali, a thousand years, if I remember my history collect, uh, correctly, that was a thousand years after the Buddha passed away that yoga was introduced to the world. Um, and, but they always claimed that the Buddha was a yogi. There's no record of that in anything that I've come across and I've studied it quite extensively. So in both practices, Francisca, be very gentle with yourself um, and also feel at any time to, to contact me through the website if you're really getting confused and frustrated, please.
2: Okay, thank
0: you. Thank you. Julian, how are you? The Julian? Yes. All right. Um, I'm great, thanks. Good. I have funny, uh, just like a
3: little bit the same as. as because we're sharing the same kind of yoga practice uh, and i haven't choose to um, drop that practice uh, consciously but i eventually did anyway because i have some pain uh, some knee pain and uh, it's winter so i don't manage to have a fastman practice um, every day as much as usual but i'm thinking of that this i manage However, to have a sitting meditation uh, twice a day, just like you mentioned, you know, I sit twice uh, once in the morning, in the evening for 10 minutes with a timer. And i just realizing now, while hearing Francisco speaking, that probably doing this helps me not to cling to my asana practice.
0: Yeah. Um, You know, one thing I I might suggest, and it kind of relates to stop uh, all your practices except this. And I'm, I'm not meaning that, but a good way to find out what is most effective is to stop your yoga practice for just a week or two and and see how you feel, see what you think about it, because it can always pick it up again. But, you know, that that's one way that can help clear up the the confusion and the frustration be trying to incorporate um, two practices that are really contradictory at their core. But it is possible to practice yoga and um and Dhamma very successfully. One of our teachers is it is practices yoga, um, you know, faithfully if I can use the word. But she's developed Adama to to uh, to teacher level. So it can be done, it, but it takes great gentleness with yourself. So thank you, Tom. How are you?
3: Um. Hi, John. Um. Yeah, I'm okay. Um uh hmm, what can i say yeah just I've, i've been trying to do the twice a day practice um i've been trying to begin the day with meditation i've got a little bit better at that i remember last time sharing that i was watching sort of morning tv daytime you know sort of morning tv shows instead of um instead of meditating and i've been able to more often than not um um, you know, um, uh, uh, um, practice. Um, I, if I can, um, I think. I think for me, I mean, it, it touches upon a little bit of maybe what what um, uh, Francisco was sharing, and um, uh, uh, I'm not sure Julian as well. But um, for me, I see a lot of truth. In the, I see a lot of truth in the these original teachings of the Buddha, and I find it uh, it really there's no contradiction for me in terms of the wisdom that comes from it, right? Whereas, I, I and I really do see how other practices very often require a um, a little bit more belief in in you know mis- mysticism or mm-hmm. or or, you know um, certain sort of fabricated beliefs or or, um, so I I, I, what I'm trying to say is I take I take enormous value and wisdom from from um, the Buddha's original teachings Um, and it does speak truth to me it really really makes sense and I'm and I'm very grateful for your book for being able to sort of introduce me to that. I, I think the challenge for me is, um, it feels, it feels a bit lonely because, um, you know, like yoga, obviously, or mindfulness, you know, in a more, you know, you know, it can be either mindfulness or, um, you know, um, uh, 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 various Buddhist groups of which I was a part of one, um, until recently. Um, have big communities, right? And yep. and you can you can meet great people,
0: um, and you
3: feel like you're you're kind of connected to lots of great like-minded people. And and the, the biggest challenge, if I'm being absolutely honest, is um, with following the Buddha's, you know, his his direct words and and the Dharma as he taught it. It's just that feeling of slight kind of like loneliness on the path. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know that we have this sangha, and I'm very grateful for that. But it's it is you know not not um, you know it's still obviously a small a small sangha, and there's only a few of us here in the UK, and we all all of us are stuck in our houses, and uh, you know we we don't even get to meet up. Um, And I think that's the feeling which is quite. Quite sort of tough like I know it speaks truth to me and I actually now find when I when I when I when I listen to a talk from the the London Buddhist center that I used to sort of go to I I, it, it almost frustrates me on the opposite end a bit like Francisca but I am frustrated because I hear aspects of a teaching that I'm like mm, that doesn't quite
4: ring true to me mm.
3: anymore and it's mm. almost frustrating on that sense because I'm like it's 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 a shame it's not that case because it's nice to be part of a community and in, it's nice to feel that there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of other people like you right believing in the same or, or, or that, that are that believing in the same thing let's say yeah. so so the fact that there are so you know the, the buddha's original teachings are so are not very widely followed directly to his word is um yeah it's just a bit it's a bit lonely, almost, um, oh. uh, and it takes a lot of courage, I think, to follow that path. Um, anyway, that's just what I wanted. So it was a bit longer than I expected to speak, but but that's what I'm kind of reflecting on a little bit.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. It's an interesting um, that we're we're focused on the right view aspects of the Dhamma. and this discussion so far is about the difficulties and really establishing that within the life we're living, <clears throat> and so. That, that feeling of loneliness because you're not connected to a, a larger community, whatever that might be, when you look at its core, it's really an aspect of self-identification and self-reference, which is one of the things that we need to look at in the Dhamma, one of the things we need to recognize and abandon. So <clears throat> you're part of a very, very small community right now. I've, I've been teaching now for well over 10 years. And I've yet to come across anybody else that's teaching the Dhamma the way the Buddha intended it. And, and I know that might sound arrogant to come to some, but th- that's just what I discovered. I was involved in in uh, every other practice that was out there for many many years in many Buddhist traditions. I practiced yoga for many years. Uh, I even took my vows in a Tibetan uh, lineage that I quickly disavowed because it was to me it was all based on speculation and fabrication, and other than the community that I self-identified with, no matter what the practice was, I really wasn't gaining any practical benefit in my life. In other words, my the mental aspects of my life and my understanding of what it means to be a human being never seemed to improve in any of those practices. And so when I finally came across what the Buddha actually taught, I was able to see where, where my frustration and confusion came from, and I, I slowly, um, I slowly abandoned all those practices and focused only on the Dhamma. And that's what made all the difference in the world. But I also know how difficult it is to do that. So as a teacher, I would never, you know, one of the things you hear me say over and over again is we must be very gentle with ourselves. And I really mean that. If we're going to develop the Dhamma, we have to be gentle with ourselves. And an aspect of that is not forcing ourselves to do something that we're not ready to do or don't don't even want to do. And as we develop our practice, most of, our, most of my students do decide to focus on just this one thing, just the Dhamma. And that seems to make all the difference in the world. Um, in, grasping after things of the world is the major problem of the Dhamma. It's what, where we create our self-identification. And so when we're grasping after practices that can't deliver something practical... It it does create conflict in our minds. But as we develop right view, we can see those practices in what they are. And again, still engage in yoga or or other practices um, or even, um, well, I was going to say another Buddhist practices, but I really don't believe that, but significantly different uh, disciplines. And as long as we're seeing that from right view with a well-concentrated mind, there shouldn't be any conflict, so that's why I don't insist that people only do this, because I think it's wrong to insist that. I think it's up to each practitioner to decide what is best for them. Where are they gaining the most practical benefits in being what a human being actually is? And again, and it's, it's up to each and every one of us.
3: If I could just, just, just add, at least from my perspective, like the the other Buddhist or mindfulness practices or yoga. Although it's not quite the purity of the teachings, um, and it did lead to some confusion, um, I do feel, at least for me, that it, it has got me closer. Like, like I do feel there's a spectrum of, sort of, um, you know, from enlightenment to ignorance. And I don't know what your take is on this, but uh, John, but if you take a spectrum from enlightenment to ignorance, um, there is. I feel like I was fortunate to find some parts, some Buddhist practices, which got me in the moving a lot closer towards, um, you know, true, true, true understanding. Let's say of 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 what it, you know, of 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 um, of the Buddhist path. Um, I, I don't know. Just my take on it. It wasn't like the practices I did before were at the time. They they did help me to gain a level of clarity. The only difference for me is that last year when I, when I discovered these teachings, it just gave me a lot more clarity, um, to go. anyway yeah. that was just, that was just my take on it. I'm, I'm sure everybody has a different experience on that.
0: Yeah. It, the, I, I will say that, um, you know, I've been teaching for 10 years about, and I've probably engaged with at least a couple hundred people that were interested. And, um, uh, the ones that had the most difficulty and didn't stay with the practice were the ones that had, been, had a, a lot of vested interest and self-identification with other practices. But th- that's not right or wrong. It's just an acknowledgement of the, of the conflict that arises and the difficulty there. But again, many people have overcome that with gentleness. And I'm going to ask Jen. Jen works during the day, but I'm going to ask her if she can join us next week so she can describe how she practices both yoga and has developed a Dhamma to teacher level in, in really just a couple of years. I think that'd be helpful. But, uh, again, I did, I think I've said it 10 times already, but be, be very gentle with yourself. Um, I, I've never met anybody that didn't develop great practical benefit in their life that continued with the Dhamma, to, no matter what else they were doing in their life. So keep up the good work, if I can say it that way. Michael, how are you? Hi, John. <laughs>
3: Hi, everybody. Hi,
5: Michael. Uh, Very interesting class so far. I'm hoping to add some clarity to it. I don't know if I'll be successful, but...
0: You always do. Uh,
5: Let's see. Uh, I don't like... uh, Obviously, um, several individuals uh, practice yoga. Okay. I know it has a lot of uh, health benefits to it. Yep. Uh, but I don't know, uh, your yoga classes in, in particular, is there a spiritual aspect to it? Uh, is there, um, a, a way of life to follow as a yoga prat- practitioner or is it strictly, um, a, a physical outlet to increase, uh, flexibility and blood flow? Uh, so if, we can put this in perspective and there is a way of actually practicing the dhamma living the buddha's dhamma and and having a you know doing something physical for yourself it's what's known as living a human life i mean uh yeah. if if we can look at it from uh, the perspective uh, and i certainly look at it like this i think we all uh uh at different times in our lives maybe even now, like we have all taken on some sort of physical endeavor, uh, you know, playing sports, uh, exercise, you know, going to the gym, obviously yoga, so many, many more things. I don't think it means, uh, that we're not supposed to, um, experience these things. Actually, I think, uh, I take my dog out for a, you know, a three mile walk, you know, every day. Um, is that, is that the wrong thing to do? To enjoy, take my dog for a walk, and yeah. is, is that not living the Dhamma? Actually, it's. Uh, uh, I believe it's right effort. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's right ethical for me to uh, get up and get out, and first of all, right effort for me to, uh, to to get him out and do what's right for him. But at the same time, it's also right effort for me to do some sort of physical activity to maintain this vessel that carries me through this this human mm-hmm. life. So, um, John, you had some time ago in a conversation, you had said something that was actually funny, but it was very, um, it kind of put things in, in perspective. I, I think it, and you'll agree to this, and when I bring it up, uh, it put things in perspective, not only for me, when you imparted to me, but I think it also, uh, it was a point where you put things in perspective and and understood the Dhamma even even more so, you had a previous teacher who you spoke very highly about, and I'm not going to say what uh, you've been, So you know, you had, you know, s- several teachers, but one in particular uh, was a, um, uh, he was a spiritual teacher, uh, again, and he was, he was, and you actually uh, ha- uh, had a lot of very positive things to say about him, but there was a little bit of a conflict um I remember you saying that he, like after class or when you uh, when he picked you up for class or drove you back, you know, whatever it was, but he always would love to eat hot dogs and smoke cigarettes.
0: Yeah.
5: You re- remember that? And, of course, uh,
0: I'll, I'll never forget him.
5: Uh, and so like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like that caused you to have, you know, a question like, okay, we're, we're talking about this, this, spiritu- this spiritual path that we're on, but at the same time, like, you know if you're abusing the self this 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 physical self of ours i mean that isn't right action either it's not right you, you know yeah. right effort <clears throat> right action you know is applied to every aspect of life and that's what the eightfold path is basically about so uh i look at it as like as long as things uh, fall uh, in line with the eightfold path and uh, most in uh most importantly uh, understanding what this class is about the, the wisdom factors today you know right view and right intention well right view is uh, is is we is we don't entangle ourselves with the ego self in any aspect of life where we're, we're aware and conscious of self- reference so it's easily said oh just be aware of you know, self-referential behavior, but it's really it's really not that easy. That's us recognizing our own ignorance, which is not an easy thing to do. I, I often <clears throat> liken it to, like, there's a, you know, there's a 13,000-pound uh, African field elephant, you know, sitting in the corner of the room, which happens to be our ignorance, but we don't even realize <clears throat> that it's there. Yep. <clears throat> so there's this, there's there's, there's there's right view and there's wrong view and sometimes like we think we're practicing right view well actually not even recognizing what wrong view is but wrong view has to exist uh, in order to know for us to know what right view is yes so yeah uh, go ahead john you comment i don't so, want to keep on rambling on. The
0: that is such incredible right view there you mentioned um, i'm not going to say his name either but he was one of the uh, foremost buddhist teachers of the last 50 years and we had become great friends and one of the things i was mentioned to michael there were times when we'd be flying down route 28 in new york to go to a particular hot dog stand while he was smoking a half a pack of cigarettes to get there he actually ended up dying of emphysema and it wasn't until i moved away from that a little bit i mean it always bothered me as I guess the reason why I went along with it was because of the community. It was a large community in upstate New York. Um, He was the head teacher. He wrote many well-known books. He was the funniest and warmest man I've ever met. And talking about it almost brings me to tears. But that view that he never really addressed his own compulsions and addictions made me start questioning that particular tradition. And I've seen that in other ones, another world-famous um, Buddhist teacher and again I won't mention his name or his tradition um, also died of alcoholism and he taught it was his, people would remark about how he could teach classes blasted out of his mind and that always bothered me. Right? How, the, the, to me that there's no respect to me to do that but that was elevated that his addictions were elevated up to some kind of high level of spirituality where he was no longer bound, by normal human behavior. And and all of those things came together after many years and made me realize that there was something missing in these practices. When I, (coughs) excuse me, simply by observing the actual behavior of people rather than just following their mystical teachings. And that, that clear observation, which is another way of saying right view, again, changed everything and allowed me to disassociate all my self-referential views with these other practices. Another, just another, uh, in the the tradition I mentioned that I took vows in, uh, in in that tradition you have a root guru, many traditions have. And my root guru was one of the most warmest, remarkable men I've ever met. I still think of him. Um, And, uh, it, 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 and, and I had a strong association with that tradition. But again, that was a Tibetan mystical tradition that was just confusing me more and more. And even though I loved the man and, and I loved the people in it, there were some great, great, wonderful people. Um, I just couldn't go along with it for my own benefit, my own well-being. And, you know, that's that's just the way things are, in, at least in my life. So, thank you, Michael. Uh, The the screen moved around a little bit, so if I call on somebody twice, please just say, you called on me already. Mark, how are you? Hey, John. I'm good. Thank you. Cheers.
6: Yeah. That's threw me off, actually, but it's quite interesting. Um, It wasn't what I was going to say, but yeah, how you wrestle with sort of you know, if you're building awareness in these, as kind of Michael said, eightfold um, path and making the right decisions, uh, including sort of serving your vessel, and you see other people that don't. I suppose, how do you wrestle with with not reacting to that or jumping? It, I suppose, um, because you become aware, you're becoming aware, or you know, we're blessed with. With these teachings sort of coming to mind. Um, it's a little bit of what, yeah, a bit of what Michael said, and a bit of what Tom said, and you're you're surrounded by people who maybe aren't aware of, of, of things like the Eightfold Path. And do you judge it, or do you not judge it, not react to it, or do you do you begin to distance yourself from those people, or uh, I mean, do, or do you not do anything really? It's really there. Do you try to teach um, what you know? Uh, or, or become aware of, or do you simply just carry on and work on your own practice and your own self? Um, yes.
0: Well, the <clears throat> the interesting dichotomy to the Dhamma and other things is the Buddha teaches to be to take everything in the world in an impersonal way. Of course, that's difficult to do when we're when we're clinging to a lot of self fabricated identities in the world. But ultimately, let me go back just a little bit. Many many of my students in the beginning phases of Dhamma practice question the Dhamma because of that. What happens to me and my views when I let go of all self-referential views? And the answer is you simply become a human being. You're not living a fabrication anymore. But that doesn't mean that sometimes the, the truth or the Four Noble Truths are difficult. The the Buddha teaches four noble truths. Dukkha occurs, craving for and clinging to fabricated views is the cause and the continuation of Dukkha. The third noble truth is it's possible to end that fabricated, end those fabricated views and the the stress that follows. And the fourth noble truth, it it is the eightfold path to doing that in a most practical way. But that doesn't mean it's easy, especially at first. Um, You're all showing great courage and right effort. Uh, just by being here today. You you show a sincere interest in the Buddha's Dhamma, despite the the conflicts that are arising during your development of it. And really you, you should be respected and honored for that. Don't judge yourself for that conflict. That's just that's an aspect of the Dhamma. I don't mean to say just because I know it's a big deal for all of us. Um you're asking the right questions, you're talking about uh the right things, and you're all developing right views. So again I congratulate you. I think it's it's um Again, it keeps moving around. Uh, Is it Victor that I haven't spoken with yet?
1: Uh, Vicky?
0: Vicky. Vicky. I'm sorry, Vicky. You all know I don't see very well, so I'm sorry when I mess up your (laughs) names and don't recognize you. Vicky, how are you today? I'm good. Hi, John. Hi, everyone.
4: Um, Yeah, so I've been, the last two weeks, I've been able to maintain my um, twice a day sitting, which is good. I think that challenge for me that I uh, more recently um, is really like what we've been talking about in terms of the self-referential thinking. Um, I think especially this past week or so, um, I think, you know, I've been, I've been working a lot. I have like a lot of projects. So I'm just, during the week, I'm constantly kind of like in work mode. And I think when I'm in work mode, that habit of thinking is especially strong, you know, yeah. because of course I, I was raised to be achievement oriented and all these things. So it's like everything I do, I'm constantly evaluating it as, Oh, I did a good job. I did a bad job. I'm a good professional, <laughs> you know, like constantly seeking validation for, you know, for, for um, how I'm doing and who I am and all that kind of a thing. And it's very strong and I feel like I'm aware of it. At least part of the time, um, or most of the time, but letting go of that is challenging. I'm not expecting to let go of everything like right away. You know, but yeah, you won't. Just, uh, I, if anyone has any tips for practicing to help with that, like.
0: Well, let me ask you, Vicki, how how is your meditation practice during the week when you're in work mode?
4: During the week, when I'm in work mode, um, I usually do morning and evening. Good. Um. It's good. In the morning, the only challenge is in the morning, I notice, I tend to have, um, like when my mind wanders or the feelings that I experience are, are kind of like, feel work triggered, like kind of more anxiety and more like, okay, I need to do, thinking about the things I need to do. And then at nighttime, um, I notice, especially if I, if I work late, it's kind of like this obsessive train of thinking, it's hard to stop, like, because all, yeah. all day I'm thinking, 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 I need to do this, I need to do that, analyzing and then it's, um, it's a little difficult to, to even, the hardest part is stopping to, yeah. to sit. Um, that's what, kind of what I notice. I don't know. Um,
0: how long have you been practicing with us?
4: Not that long. Um, just a few,
0: a few weeks. Uh, weeks. and you're, are you using the guided meditations from the website? Tried those. Ah, try, try that. Uh, okay. and and um, how long are you meditating? About it, doesn't you know, it ranges. Um, for a while, I was able to do 15 to 30, but since I've been busy this
4: past week, it's more around uh, maybe average 10
0: to 20. That's great. It, I, I would suggest maybe start with 10 minutes of the guided meditations. There's they go from five to 45 minutes. Uh, start with 10 minutes uh, or, you know, 15 if you want, twice a day. But listen to the guided meditations because they're important. They're based on the four foundations of mindfulness, and they will help deepen your concentration. As your concentration increases, I think you'll notice that that monkey mind that you just described at night will start to diminish, um, and you'll be able more able to start incorporating the Eightfold Path. Do you notice any... Um, any reference to the Eightfold Path in your day-to-day life? Any reference? What do you mean by that? Well, it, when you do, you notice when you might be, and we haven't gotten to that yet. When you, when you might be um, engaged in wrong speech, wrong action, or wrong livelihood. And I know you haven't even learned that yet, but uh, things that are contrary or self-referential, because that's really what you're discuss, discussing and describing, Vicky. Um, hmm. When we, when we're stuck up, stuck in our ambitions and how we should perform, that of course is self-referential, isn't it? Many people think that we need to have that to be ambitious and succeed, but the opposite is really too true. Uh, we become much more effective the less self we introduce into the into the world. That's just I mean that just makes sense, doesn't it? So again, I would encourage you to be very gentle with yourself, continue with your practice, and I think you'll find that that the stress related to your work Um, will diminish greatly. And you'll enjoy it much more, too. So, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, Michael.
5: Hey, John. uh, And can I just, like, uh, add something? Because it kind of helped me understand things. uh, Sure. It still does, uh, you know, going along here. Um, Obviously, it is... Recognizing that that moment of self-reference is extremely important. But keep this in mind. Like, uh, the Buddhist Dhamma meets us where we are.
0: Yeah. Always. It's not
5: like it's with you know it's 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 there each moment if we choose to practice it and live the Dhamma. Okay? And what does that actually mean to live the Dhamma? Okay? Living the Dhamma is is being aware of self-reference. Okay. Yeah. Living the Dhamma the way the Buddha intended it is to move through this this uh uh Uh, this human experience without self-reference because self-reference is, is the root of our uh, stress and suffering. So if we can start recognizing self-reference in each and every moment, if you keep in mind that the Dharma is, meets us where we are, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're at work or if you're at home or at the gym, yoga practice, wherever you are. In that moment, be aware of self-reference. Yeah, that... And when self self-reference self-reference arises, that's that's a point where you you you're starting to recognize yeah. the ego self and the ego self falling away, fading away. And that's where you want to. If the ego self self starts fading away, you'll find that you have more clarity and peace and calmness starting to move in once the
0: ego self moves out. Yeah. Just uh, brilliant, Michael. Thank you. The, the, the Buddhist Dharma brings the ability to, to recognize all these self-referential views and once we have that, once we have that awareness, we are then able to simply abandon those self-referential views. There's a, a, a book, um, I can't think of the author's name, it made such an, uh, an impact on me called Awareness and there's a line that I always remember. He said that awareness is 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 not the power to change, it gives you the ability, I'm sorry, awareness isn't change, it gives you the power to change, and that's what we're developing here, is the ability to recognize those views that no longer serve me, but because I created those views, it's very hard to recognize those without a frame of reference, and that's really what the Eightfold Path is about, so, um, does anybody have any, we're going on a a little bit, and I try to keep these classes relatively, you know, around an hour, an hour and 20 minutes, I guess that's where we are, but. Uh, Does anybody have any questions before we finish? Okay. Thank you all for a great class. Uh, Next Thursday's class will be on the virtuous factors of the Eightfold Path. uh, And we'll discuss that again next week. So thank you all for joining. Uh, And if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, please do so because there's a lot of information in there. Peace, everyone. Uh, Thank you, John.
3: Just to to check, John, next week will be um, Chapter 5.